Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For today's podcast, I interviewed Jody Rose, the president of the New England Venture Capital Association, or NEVCA. If you're not familiar with the NEVCA, they are one of the most important organizations that supports entrepreneurship and innovation for the region across two pillar industries, that being tech and life sciences. While a lot of my previous interviews have focused on the entrepreneurial journey of building a company, in this episode, Jody and I chat a lot about the challenges surrounding our industry and how several of the NAVCA programs and policy initiatives are making an impact across very important topics like diversity and inclusion, retaining our student population, non-competes, increasing the investment activity with female entrepreneurs, and a lot more. Then, of course, we talk about the biggest celebration of the year, that being the Nevy Awards, which is happening on May 9th at the House of Blues in Boston. You don't want to miss the Nevies. First and foremost, it's an amazing party. Plus, it's a great opportunity to celebrate the many, many accomplishments in the region, which we don't do enough of. If you are buying tickets, which you should, please use our code VentureFizz for a 15% discount. I hope to see you there. Okay, without further ado, here's my interview with Jody. Jody, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Keith. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's great to, great to catch up. Um, so we're going to start off this conversation with a different format. We're going to talk about something that's super exciting that's coming up really soon, the Nevy Awards. What are the Nevy Awards? Oh my gosh, the Nevy Awards are exciting. That's what they are. So That's they are um, they are the ecosystem's way of really bringing together entrepreneurs and investors across every sector into one fun celebration where we highlight our successes and our wins as a region over the past year. And so the goal is, you know, highlighting and celebrating amazing innovation, you know, in, in life sciences, inclusive of biotech and digital health in the tech space, obviously, and doing it in a way that really is showcasing how innovation looks in the industry. And what I mean by that is it's not your typical rubber chicken dinner award show. It's at the House of Blues on May 9th. People come typically dressed in costume because the Nevis are thematic, and um, it's a way for you to see uh, old friends, meet new friends, and then spend time celebrating some of the most amazing companies in the world that are right here in our backyard. Yeah, it's just a great celebration. One, it's a lot of fun. It's a party. People get together. People are dressed up. It is. Uh, it's amazing how every year you outdo the previous year. Uh, last year, the theme was Mardi Gras, and you had acrobatics, like just people doing crazy stunts in the air. It was just amazing. That's that's the goal. The year the year before that was uh, the Nevis have gone country, and we had a mechanical bull, and everybody came, you know, dressed in their best cowboy hats and boots, and it was a, a, a fun time. And this year the theme is Star Wars, and uh, what is interesting is we are incorporating um, a few new elements into the show, something different um, that we've done that we haven't done in years past, uh, where you will be able to touch and feel some of the technology uh, from companies that are located in our backyard. Wow, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I heard the theme for this year, I'm like, yes, what a no-brainer for the Nebby Awards, Star Wars. <laughs> Lightsaber battles, I'm thinking there's going to be lots of interesting. Oh, there's, there's going to be lots of really cool stuff. <laughs> Definitely lots of lightsabers. So 
come prepared, come in costume, come to have fun, and come to see friends. We yeah. will have a thousand plus people in the House of Blues, and it will be a blast. So May 9th, mark your calendar because it's going to be calendar. a blast. It's going to be a blast. You have to be there. I can't wait. I'm already looking up. forward to it. All right. Well, let's talk about you. So going back, I always like to give our audience a you know journey through someone's professional career. So you know, where'd you grow up? You know, what kind of led you down your professional path to where you are today? Yeah. So I'm born and raised in New York. I wear that badge proudly. I also um, like to just tell people the fact that I'm also first generation American. Both my parents came from <laughs> Jamaica and for them, education was extremely important. Started out at the University of Maryland, actually withdrew from school in my sophomore year because I got really depressed, came home try to convince my Jamaican father that it was a great idea for me to become an actress. Um, his response was a month later, he came home and handed me a piece of paper and said, this is the job that you report to on Monday. No questions. So he basically thought that there was no way that he was going to let his daughter try to figure out if she wanted to act. And so um, I actually started working as a receptionist while I was in between colleges and um, decided to re-enroll in a small college, the, the SUNY Old Westbury in, in New York and finish as a marketing major. And as I was graduating, um, I knew that I was really interested in media. I knew I was really interested in television, couldn't really put my finger on it, but was focusing all of my efforts on getting into the television space. And um, thankfully, because of older siblings, I was able to network with people that um, we're working at companies like uh, MTV Networks and Food Network and and um, landed a job at MTV Networks as an assistant in their affiliate sales team. And from there, I really grew my career in the tape, cable and telecommunication space. And you know, my goal was to really increase the distribution of uh, cable networks, uh, primarily working with cable operators. And so I spent a year at MTV from there, transitioned over to Scripps Networks, which is the parent company to Food Network and Home and Garden Television, and spent just about seven years at Scripps, really helping to increase the distribution of networks like Food Network, Home and Garden Television, uh, Fine Living, which no longer exists, Great American Country, and really was at the forefront of uh, the evolution of broadband or the introduction of broadband and video on demand and helping to sell those products to companies like Comcast and Time Warner and Verizon. Um, so did that up until about 2007, moved to Boston, because I met a boy and decided it was time for me to get married. <laughs> and um, because Boston really wasn't a market that had a huge um, cable network presence, I thought this was a great opportunity for me to pivot and, and look at the digital media side of things. And so I found my way to a company called Eons, which is no longer in existence. It was founded by Jeff Taylor, who's a serial entrepreneur. Um, Founder of Monster. Oh, exactly. So Jeff founded Monster and I convinced him that he needed to bring me on as the person that was going to help grow uh, an ad network or a publishing network for him. And, and Eons was an interesting platform because it was a social media platform for baby boomers. And his mission and goal was that, you know, baby boomers don't really use Facebook and social media um, in the way that that other generations do. And, and he, he had created this platform just for them. And so I did that, did that for nine months. Um, I was laid off. Uh, they determined that the ad network model didn't make sense and they pivoted. But Jeff, uh, 
actually pointed me to my next opportunity. So he moved me or he introduced me to the founder of Rulala, Ben Fishman at the time, and uh, met with Ben and the executive team. And I joined Ru as head of corporate development, really helping them to look at um, ways that they could extend their audience, um, grow revenue, and potentially extend their brand um, and get into new markets. And so spent about four years over at Rulala, had an amazing time, worked with a talented team. And most importantly for me, and the, the thing that I'm most proud of is the fact that I was one of the founding members of the local business that launched um, in competition with uh, Groupon and launched and, and opened markets for them, launched their initial market in Boston, helped them open New York, helped to hire staff, built out the model along with my colleagues there. And um, did that for about four years and then moved on to another company called Swirl, which was focused on microlocation technology. So I've had an interesting career, you know, first starting in New York, really in the cable telecommunication side of things. And then um, when I came to Boston, really, you know, landing in these early stage environments that allowed me to get a ton of experience, primarily strategy, corporate development, but really getting an opportunity to, to test new industries, new markets, new technologies. Sure. And then that brings us to today of the role and you ended up pivoting kind of sort of again to a nonprofit, right? So you joined the New England Venture Capital Association originally as the executive director, now you're president. So what led you down that path? So it's interesting. It started uh, It started with a conversation. Um, a good friend of mine was the interim executive director um, as our former executive director, CA, had moved on to, to go to a, a venture capital fund. And um, she was helping them, including you, um, look for the new executive director and reached out to me and said, well, what do you think about working at a nonprofit? And my initial response was I laughed and I said, Laura, that's funny. You know, I'm a for-profit person, um, but I'd be happy to do that in my spare time. And she laughed with me. And then she says, well, no, this is actually really interesting because it's an organization that represents the venture capital community. And I said, tell me more. Um, and then once she told me about the mission of the organization, which at that time was to make Massachusetts the best place in the world for entrepreneurs, um, I thought this is really interesting. And after meeting with the board and realizing that not only would I be partnering with some of the best minds and venture capital, but some of the most talented people that are investing in companies globally um, who are also focused on and passionate about this mission, it was a no-brainer for me. Yeah. And obviously the New England Venture Capital Association is such a anchor organization to helping foster the investment and entrepreneurship community. So it's a very important role. But if you can share with our audience, you know, what, what is the goal of the organization? Yeah, so the goal of the organization is to really ensure that this region, that New England is the best place in the world for not only entrepreneurs to launch and grow their companies, but also for investors to continue to invest dollars. And so we really take a macro approach or a macro view of what's happening in the ecosystem. We identify gaps and challenges that we believe that you know, ourselves as an organization and as an association who represents uh, just about 80 venture capital firms, um, close to 800 uh, investment professionals that we can attack in really innovative ways, whether it be through programming, through launching initiatives, um, or through being an advocate. And so, you know, we find ourselves um, focus on, focusing on areas such as workforce development, equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, being a convener and a node for connection, um, and then also really being a champion for the region. 
And we're going to get into the, all these different programs that the NAVCA operates, which are all amazing and very important. Um, but ultimately, the organization represents two pillar uh, like industries, right? You have tech and life sciences, and both are massive. I mean, the tech industry is incredibly large. Life sciences and biotech is just a whole another major, major, major ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about balancing the two of promoting this as a region of those two just such critical industries? Yeah. So I would say that the, the biggest challenge that I had when I first came on board was trying to determine how do we do that in an effective way. And for me, it was important that I made sure that at a board level, I had the right people around the table that would help advise the best way to do so, because the needs in the tech community are very different than the needs in the, the biotech and life sciences community. And so our board is pretty much 50-50 in terms of um, tech investors versus healthcare investors. And you know some of the initiatives that we have really focus on both sectors, like hack diversity, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, as well as a lot of the work that we're doing around gender equity. Um, but then some are you know, more focused on tech than they are on, on life sciences. So we're continuing to find ways to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our members. Um, and we're also continuing to make sure that we are um, improving the way that we work at the NEVCA so that uh, you know, we are an organization that matters. And going from the for-profit world to a non-profit, what were some of the initial surprises that you encountered? Hmm. So I didn't, um, I, I really didn't appreciate moving into this role, um, the importance of fundraising and um, how you're always fundraising. <laughs> you know, people make the assumption that because we're an association that represents the venture capital community that we're flush with dollars. And, and while our, our organization is very healthy in terms of our finances, you know, we really rely on the support of not just our members, but partners um, and sponsors. And so that's something that's important to us because it really helps us to continue to do the work and push the mission of the organization. I would say that was my biggest surprise. The other thing that was um, pretty surprising, and it goes back to the last question that you asked, was around the difference between life sciences and tech. And, you know, I, I've grown up in a tech field, if you will, or in the tech industry and not in life sciences. And um, it is, they are very different. And, and I, I wasn't prepared for how different they are. Yeah, no, they're definitely completely separate worlds. Now let's talk talk about the program. So there's so many meaningful programs that the NABCA are running. So I'd like to try to talk as many as possible. So there's a whole portfolio. Actually, you recently did a complete overhaul of your website, which is beautiful. We did. Thank you. We're and it, and it, yeah, and it, and it outlines very specifically what you guys are doing, which I think is helpful for people just to get a firm understanding of how impactful the NABCA is. Um, so let's start off with hack diversity. Mm -hmm. What is it? And let's talk about, you know, the accomplishments thus far. Yeah. So hack diversity is a, is a program and initiative that tackles underrepresentation of blacks and Latinos working in uh, software engineering and IT roles while we're providing coaching and training along, along the way for both the fellow or uh, the students, as we call them, as well as the companies who are participating. We launched uh, Hack Diversity in 2016. We launched with five partner companies and 16 fellows. And our goal was to really create a, a, a platform and a way to provide coaching and training for students that are graduating from community colleges, some four-year colleges, and boot camps provide them with a lot of soft skill support and then really, you know, 
get them into a place where they can get into an internship to hire role. And the companies who we work with are working with us because they're really looking to tap into talent. Uh, the reason why Hack Diversity even came to be was because you know our industry is faced with two glaring needs. One is we're in a talent war and every company who you talk to can't fill all of their jobs. And the other challenge that we face is you know, wanting to be a more diverse ecosystem and organizations wanting to create more diverse teams, but not being able to find the talent that they need. And for us, our thesis and model is, you know, we know the talent is here, it's in our backyard, and we wanted to really help employers hack the way that they were looking for top talent. Yeah. And if you, if you go to back episodes of our podcast, I talked to a lot of talent acquisition leaders in the Boston tech scene and diversity and inclusion was such a important topic on everyone's mind. We discuss it in every episode. So, you know, hack diversity is such a meaningful uh, program that you guys are running. It is. And I mean, the fact that we have employers reaching out to us saying, how can we invo get involved, whether it's, you know, us getting emails from the talent team to, you know, me being connected to a CEO. This is something that really resonates with the community. Um, the other interesting thing about Hack Diversity is while we are focusing on software engineering roles and IT roles, we're working across industry. So in year one, our partners included Wayfair, HubSpot, DataZoo, Carbonite, and Vertex. Um, and in year two, we've also included uh, DraftKings, Liberty Mutual, um, Rapid7, Wordstream, Athena Health, and Beth Israel. Um, so we are making sure that we're tapping into all sectors that have a strong need for not just diverse talent, but also for really strong technical talent. And who originated this program? Was it Jeff Busgang and other so people? There, yeah, so there were three people that really sort of took the reins. So it was myself, Jeff Busgang, and a woman by the name of Melissa James, who runs a company called The Tech Connection. And the three of us got together with a bunch of industry leaders to kind of, you know, brainstorm on what was the right approach to this challenge and this problem. And from there, we sort of went into the lab, if you will, and started to come up with, you know, what would be the model of hack diversity and, and, and how would it scale in a way that's meaningful, um, not just to potential talent, but also to organizations who we were targeting. That's great. Another program you guys are running, which is also a topic of discussion in the Boston tech scene all the time, is uh, tech gen. Yes. You know, students come to school to Boston, but then they leave and go elsewhere to find jobs. So what was the, the thought behind tech gen and its mission there? That's exactly it. It was really tackling the brain drain. I mean, we yeah. have just about a quarter of a million students who come to Boston on a yearly basis from around the globe to study at the best universities in the world. And we are losing just about, and I'm not sure if this number has changed, but just about 50% of them to other markets. And so, you know, part of what makes this region so special is the fact that we have this brain trust and such a strong knowledge economy. Um, and what we did and created TechGen was making sure that we provided a way and a platform for the students who were coming here to study to connect with the ecosystem, particularly on the startup side. And so TechGen is a two-sided platform um, online students and companies go on, create profiles, and are able to find each other for internships and for interns. And offline, uh, you know, what's really important is making sure that the students across any university know how to connect into the ecosystem um, so that they're meeting potential mentors, they're meeting, you know, company creators, uh, and they're also meeting students in other campuses. And the reason why that's really important for us is because it's not just 
valuable and important for the student to have an internship, we want to make sure they build community so that when they're graduating, they're more committed to staying where they studied and where they've built community versus being eager to leave and, and, and start somewhere else. And what I think is also impressive, you talk about the, you know, the offline part of um, tech gen. So, you know, another good example is venture Fizz is working with uh, tech gen and Babson to put on a whole startup spotlight event on April 10th yep. to introduce the tech scene to the students of Babson, Wellesley and Olin, which mm -hmm. Olin is an amazing school that kind of flies under the radar in Boston. But the, the kids that go to Olin are just so incredibly bright. Dynamic. So, yeah. So dynamic, just, you know, great engineering background. Um, so it, I like that there's both the online and the offline component of what you guys are doing there. Yeah, and this is going to be the second year that we're doing this event with, to, to your point, with Babson, Wellesley, and Olin. And the reason why we're doing it a second time is because the first year that we did it, it was such a success um, that both faculty and students said, when, when can we do this again and why can't we do it more frequently? And so there is a need. Um, and, and what we find with TechGen is as we're on campuses, really helping to evangelize what's here in the ecosystem and educate students, uh, there's just a lot of information that they are chomping at the bit to have. And what we're doing really is educating, connecting, um, and, and hopefully providing a marketplace that will allow them to, to, to build their careers here. When I think back, that was definitely a major challenge where you had so many great schools. The schools didn't really cross-pollinate, like do things in collaboration with each other. And students had no concept or clue that there was a tech ecosystem here. Yes. I think we've come so far in educating students and these different programs and things that people are doing. But uh, the challenge is, you know, kids come to school and they, you know, at four years, they're cycled out. So there's that continuous reinforcement of what's going on here, which is why, you know, programs like this are so meaningful. Yeah. And I think to your point, we've definitely made... Um, a lot of progress, but there's still work to be done. Yeah, always. Um, you know, the fact that I still hear students uh, surprised when they don't realize how strong of a consumer tech market we have in our backyard, mm -hmm. uh, that they don't understand that companies like TripAdvisor and Wayfair, um, you know, one of the biggest e-tailers in the world um, are right here in Boston. And, and to me, that's still surprising and it means that there's still work to do. Yep. There's always going to be work to do. Agreed. Uh, syndicate sessions. What, what what is syndicate sessions? So syndicate sessions is interesting. We um you know at the NEVCA when I came on board, I realized that we were doing a really good job making sure that we engaged uh, the venture capitalists at the managing partner level, um, and you know our engagement across our, our our partner firms was strong. But an area that we needed to really improve upon was the non-managing partner level. And so we created um, the syndicate sessions. We actually work with a small team of um, principals to really help us understand and identify, okay, what are the needs for this, you know, this emerging kind of market of uh, future managing directors and how can we help, you know, create community that would benefit them in the long term. Mm -hmm. And so syndicate sessions is all about, you know, uh, convening, um, partner track investors while providing, you know, forums that will allow for them to learn and, you know, gain content that they can apply to their career. 
Got it. And then there's VC briefings. Yep. So our VC briefings essentially are really intimate discussions that do a deep dive on hot topics, whether it be something around machine learning and AI or microbiome um, or you know digital health. We actually did a, a VC briefing last year on the impact of Trump care on healthcare investing and innovation. And so those are for our members, for our partners. Um, we, they're invitation only, and they're really a way for you to do a deep dive in a topic, but also to network, um, with up to about 40 professionals. And we do those just about six to, to 10 times a year. Great. Are there any other programs that I'm forgetting here? Unpitch is a huge event that we run every year. People have asked us, why don't we do it more? So Unpitch really was born out of this idea, um, and was a response to a conference that came into our backyard and was charging entrepreneurs to pitch to investors. And one thing about our community, whether it be VCs and entrepreneurs, is that we're such an open community. VCs are willing to take meetings. And the last thing that they ask entrepreneurs to do is pay to pitch to them. And so um, we basically, when I say we, it started with a team, including Scott Kersner, came up with Unpitch, which is a day where entrepreneurs come in, allow investors to buy them lunch and have a conversation about their business. There's no pressure to have a formal pitch. There's no pressure to invest. The goal is sit in front of a top tier VC, um, let them hear your idea, and then be open to a ton of feedback. Um, we actually have seen a few companies receive some investment as a result of Unpitch, but that's not the goal. Um, the goal is really how are we being a resource to entrepreneurs and how are we making sure that we're also helping our VCs from a deal flow perspective, um, as well as making sure the community knows that, 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 that any VCA is here to be a resource, as is our VC community. I attended a, a couple of years back and it was just a very active, lively room. It was all these tables and entrepreneurs and investors. And I, I think it's great that uh, the investors take the time you know, to spend the day just talking to entrepreneurs. And like you said, it's no pressure. It's not like people have to be giving their elevator pitch or exactly. you know, sharing their PowerPoint presentations. It's very casual. And uh, you know, those types of discussions can go a long way. So investors love it. Uh, you know, we we obviously have to cap the number of investors and cap the number of entrepreneurs. And um, whenever we hear from investors, once the list is closed and they say, can we sign up? And we say, sorry, the list is closed. They're really disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, this year, what was really excited, exciting sorry, about Unpitch was the fact that just about 50% of the investors that were in the room were women. And close to 50% of the companies had female co-founders or uh, female members of their executive team. And so we were really intentional about making sure um, that we were sourcing uh, entrepreneurs and investors that you know are an extension of what we really believe in, which is how do we make this the best region and, and making sure that there is equity and inclusion as a part of that mission. That's great. Uh the other key part of the New England Venture Capital Association is your work around policy and hmm. the impact around those topics. Um, Non-compete reform, that's been a, a tricky one, right? Like, it, So I'm going to speak, this is my own opinion. You know, Being a, a recruiter, non-competes are difficult. And I don't recruit salespeople, so it's not like I was dealing with people that were, um, you know, kind of trying to go from one job to the other and take the customer list with them and do something that wouldn't be appropriate. Whereas most people are just trying to further their career by going to another company that may be a competitor. 
And I, I am just so against non-competes. They just don't make sense. They stifle innovation. You read about it in the, in, you know, the you know, different publications, but why has non-compete been such a, an issue to change here? This has been a long one. You're right. It's been a tough fight. You know, the, the, the NEVCA took on uh, non-competes before I actually came to the organization. And the reason why we did it, and to your point, is really around fairness, right? So non-competes are really structured to protect the employer, which we completely agree that the employers need a certain level of protection. And um, what they're really trying to protect is um, primarily IP protection um, and, and making sure that their information is not shared. And that is, and, and for us, what we're trying to do is make sure that employees are considered um, and their growth and their opportunity to make a living and, and continue to study and work in their field of study um, is considered. And so for us, what we're really trying to do is fight for reform that provides parity between the employer and employee. Um, you know, the NEVCA is the only association and organization um, that not only took on the fight, but has really been um, challenging the legislature and, and, and the status quo. And um, we've been up against some other industry groups that don't really feel the same way. And that's because of the larger organizations that they represent. I do think that, you know, there's an opportunity for both large company and small companies to come together. And when I say that, I mean our industry groups to come together to 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 implement meaningful reform. Um, but for us, it's really important that as we look at a potential bill um, to be passed, we want to make sure that the employee's interests are also not just considered but covered. And so one thing that we've been pushing for is a shorter duration of um, leave, if you will, as well as um, what's being called garden leave, which is really compensation um, for the period that the employer is being required to, to be out of work or the employee is being required to be out of work. And those have been two big sticking points, um, particularly on the garden leave side. And that's something that we really feel passionate about. We, we feel passionate that if an employee is being requ required to not work for a period of time, that they should be compensated for that period of time. Yeah. I mean, obviously you look at uh, you know, the Bay Area in California where non-competes are, you know, they're just against the law, right? So it's, mm -hmm. they're null and void. And you see people going from Facebook to Google to Twitter to wherever. And it just obviously does not affect those companies in a negative way, uh, at least no, that you hear I mean, about. You look at that market and there's a ton of company creation. I mean, you know, venture dollars are flowing in that region more than they are in any other region. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, for them, they have access to amazing talent. And so the question is, how do we ensure that we are retaining talent um, and that we're also doing it in a way where, you know, talent is free to not just go to other companies, but they're also free to innovate in a way that does not infringe upon um, any IP or, or, or any um, rights, if you will, of a company. Yeah. What about immigration? What's the NAVCA doing in regards to immigration? Yeah, so immigration is a really tricky one, and I think it's pretty tricky because we have no idea what's going to happen um, with mm -hmm. the administration and, and what um, legislation will be passed. So we have really been um, partnering with organizations like the National Venture Capital Association and Forward.us, as well as um, the Global and, e and, and Entrepreneur and Residence Program to ensure that um, we are at the forefront of 
making sure that it's easy for um, immigrants who want to come here and and work and start companies and create companies that they have um, an environment in which they can do it in a way that you know we continue to benefit from. So you know you look at our innovation economy locally, and so many of our entrepreneurs were not born in the U.S. And what we don't want to do is stifle that. And so we, you know, serve as advocate on on immigration reform. Um, you know, have done everything from signing all to letters, um, to you know, lending an ear, to developing campaigns to really showcase what is happening here in the region. Um, and we'll continue to do everything that we can to um, protect the rights of immigrants in our backyard. Got it. Okay, so you're being proactive because obviously, like nothing's been passed, but you're being proactive to hopefully, if there is an issue, be able to hopefully have a voice already established. Exactly. Exactly. Um, another topic that obviously is making headlines in all different industries these days is sexual harassment, uh, which is, you know, unfortunate that that's a topic on the radar these days. Um, how does that relate to the NAVCA and venture capital in the tech industry? So sexual harassment is an issue that faces every single industry. Um, no one is no one is immune from it. And last year, as you know, uh, there were a lot of stories coming um, out about sexual harassment in VC firms out in Silicon Valley. And what we at the NEVCA, both at the board level and here at, on the team, wanted to ensure was that we did not ignore those stories, but we also acknowledge the fact that it's not just a Silicon Valley issue, it's a national issue, and that it's also happening here in our backyard. And so one of the first things that we did was really address it by convening a conversation where we got 200 people in a room, half were venture capitalists, um, founding fund, uh, managing directors, um, as well as, you know, female managing partners, in addition to entrepreneurs. And, you know, part of what the forum um, aimed to do was not just educate, which might might seem a little... Um, uh, elementary, but wanting to educate people on what sexual harassment is, the the scope of sexual harassment, and then highlight stories that we had collected um, of people here in our backyard that had been impacted by sexual harassment. You know, if there was a um, solution, we wouldn't be talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's a really complicated issue. Um, and part of what we aim to do is continue to highlight it and highlight awareness of the fact that it's happening. We also want to make sure that as we're talking about sexual harassment, we don't lose sight of the fact that another major issue in our industry is the fact that just about 7% of our VCs are represented by women. And so if we're looking about ways to combat sexual harassment, I think we need to look at the root of the problem. And part of the root, I believe, is the fact that there are not enough women um, that are represented in venture. Now, as I say that, I also want to acknowledge the fact that sexual harassment, um, the people that are impacted by sexual harassment are not just women. Men are impacted too, and men have stories. Um, you do find that the majority of people that have been impacted by sexual harassment are women. And I think if we're looking to change, we need to start to look at, you know, the root of the issues that we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, all these topics are so meaningful and, uh, it's, it's important that there's an organization like the NAVCA that is educating people or, dealing with the state, you know, legislation and just all these different topics. They're just not easy things to tackle. So it's, uh, you know, they kudos are. to you and your team. Yeah, they are. And they're, you know, we're also working and and while I can't unveil what we're doing yet, what I will say is we're working with, um, 
a very esteemed brand, if you will, um, to really dig into uh, the inequity in venture. And so in the next coming months, we'll be making some announcements around what we're doing there. But um, it's work that we believe is really important. It's work that our members believe is really important. I can say anecdotally, there's so many of our venture firms that while they you know, will not announce it from the rooftop, have taken certain measures um, internally to make sure that they are creating more equitable and inclusive environments um, and that they're doing as much as they can to combat sexual harassment as well as bias. That's great. Now, the, I mean, the other thing that I've noticed the VC firms being more proactive at is looking to invest in female founders or companies that have, you know, a female as part of the founding team, right? So there's, you know, you know, I've, I saw the different movements of, you know, grab lunch with eight females yeah, this month. You know, yeah, yeah so. Starts so Starts With Eight is an interesting initiative that was started by the folks at Flybridge, um, so Kate Castle and, 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 and Chip Hazard. And, you know, this was after they launched the X Factor uh, Fund, which is focusing on uh, seed funding female entrepreneurs. But Starts With Eight, the, the whole mission around Starts With Eight is really challenging uh, investors to have a minimum of eight meetings with women who are outside of their network that could potentially lead to an investment, them hiring a new person, um, a, a new woman, or them connecting that woman to another um, opportunity or investor. And the goal is really to extend their network. And so it was started by Flybridge. We're partnering with funds, or they're partnering with funds across the country. And there are a bunch of funds in New England that are participating, including G20 Ventures and Canaan um, and First Star Ventures and there are so many folks that see not only the value in it, um, but we're now starting to hear stories around how this is helping um, them to, you know, increase deal flow. I mean, again, all incredibly meaningful stuff. And, I, you know, I have two daughters, um, you know, they're 12 and 14 right now. But, um, you know, I, I, I want them when they finally enter the workforce that they have these opportunities to do whatever they want, whether it's start their own company and hopefully raise funding or become a venture partner somewhere. So I think this foundation that we're laying is, uh, you know, paving that way for, for that type of opportunity. It's paving that way. It's extremely important. And I think there are two ways to look at it. It's paving the way and it's providing opportunity, but it's also providing the opportunity for you to be a more successful fund um, and increase your returns by, you know, opening up more opportunities for you to invest in really amazing and innovative companies. Let's shift gears and just talk about the Boston ecosystem as a whole. Mm -hmm. Where do you think we thrive? We thrive in so many ways. Um, so obviously, you know, the knowledge economy here is really strong. I mean, in our backyard, we have the best and the brightest, as I said earlier in our conversation, that are coming to study. Um, we have the most innovators. Um, if you look at it from a, a, a sector perspective, you know, it's obvious that biotech uh, in this region is the number one in the world. And, you know, there, there aren't any other regions that are close second. So we really thrive in the biotech sector and seeing... I think we are, you know, from a tech perspective too, we thrive in so many clusters. And when you think about technology and you think about our region, what's most obvious is how we think about technology and innovation, where we believe it's important to use technology to solve hard challenges and hard problems. 
And so you you see, if you look at the robotics cluster here, um, if you look at what's happening in advanced manufacturing, which obviously robotics is a part of that, you look at what we're doing, clean energy, um, you look at the rise of mobility and the autonomous uh, vehicle space. I mean, there's so many clusters that we are not... <laughs> only participating in, but we've been the leaders on. And, um, you know, people come here and invest here because they know that our entrepreneurs and our innovators are really creating life-changing um, innovations that are having global impact. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at like the information security cluster, it is massive, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many great companies. Uh, marketing tech, right? So with the HubSpot and so many companies have spun off to uh, create, you know, meaningful companies and that whole marketing technology world. Exactly. Um, cybersecurity is another cluster yeah. where, you know, not only do we have so many strong cybersecurity companies, but our relationship with Israel yep. is so strong that, you know, Israelis are coming here to, to start companies. We're investing a lot in Israel, but they'll, they're also investing here in our backyard. And so, you know, we are definitely not um, a sleepy innovation cluster. We are definitely, you know, top in, in the world. I love how the engine, right? The MIT venture fund, yeah. how their, you know, their mission statement is to fund hard problems, right? And the companies that they're funding are just extraordinary. I mean, just they're going to be like world changing type of mission statement companies. They are. What I love about the engine too is the approach that they've taken to not just, you know, how they're sourcing companies that are being incubated within the engine, but also how they're thinking about building their team um, and really building a world-class team um, that is diverse in terms of gender and background um, and also expertise. At some point, there might be need to be like a statue for Katie Ray and and, and Reed. <laughs> you think of what they've done as far as um, you know, building companies, investing in companies, tech stars, the engine. Like it's just their accomplishments are just amazing. Yeah, startup institute. I mean, their accomplishments startup are amazing, and, and, it, and, and it's clear that that was the reason why they were tapped to to lead the engine. Yeah, that's so true. Areas for improvement. What do you think Boston could be doing better? That's a good question. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is um, being a more diverse and inclusive ecosystem. Um, and I think we're working on that. The good thing is, you know, um, we know that we have a problem and people are going beyond talking about it. They're now trying to come up with solutions and ways to do that. And, and Hack Diversity is really helping to tackle that problem, um, you know, not just on a local level, but we believe um, what will be on a national level. I think that's a huge opportunity. I also think gender inclusivity is another gap and area that we are working on, but it's a growth area for us. Um, nothing else comes to mind. One area that I would say Boston could improve upon is uh, celebrating its wins, like you mentioned, yes. like consumer, right? Where Wayfair and TripAdvisor and you know Kayaks—they're not headquartered here; they're headquartered in Stanford. But the engineering and product is in Cambridge; it's here. So I forgot that one. You're right. I think that we can do a much better job, and that's that's in part why we launched the Nevi Awards. Yes, of really shouting from the rooftops everything that's happening in this region, and I do think we have a marketing problem. Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool that people are humble. Like I admire that. That's kind of my personality, but you know, sometimes you just gotta like, just pump up the tires and say like, you know what, we're killing it in these sectors, but you know, it kind of flies under the radar in comparison to other regions. And I think in this case, humility and being boastful can coexist. I yes. think it's really important because the end result means that you have more talent um, you have more opportunities, you have more opportunities, opportunities for collaboration. 
um, and you're showcasing what this region has to offer. And it's it's real too. It's not like fictitious, just celebrating exactly. for no reason. Like exactly. the numbers are there. Exactly. So you know, car gurus, it's crazy. Um, all right, let's let's uh, now dig back into Jody's world here. You have a lot going on. We just went through a whole laundry list of things that your organization <laughs> is tackling. You do have a team, but so how do you manage your time? That's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, part of what we try to do here at the organization is make sure that we have good work-life balance. Um, you know, our team is in here Monday through Friday. And, you know, when I think about how I'm managing my time, it's in part meeting with the companies that we work with and support, obviously the investors that are members of the organization, um, talking to folks like you that are really helping to, to boast the ecosystem. Um, but I also make sure that I keep my family first because that's really important. I have two young kids and I am home most evenings if I don't have an event um, right after dinner so that I'm spending time with them doing homework um, and then getting them to bed. And then morning time with my family is really important. But my schedule on a day-to-day -day basis does not look the same. And for me, it's making sure that I'm connected to my devices, trying to stay ahead of my schedule, which I haven't mastered yet, but I'm trying, um, and then keeping family first. What do you do? Like, what do you like to do for fun outside of work? Hmm. What do I like to do for fun outside of work? So I love to cook. Um, we love to entertain at our home. And so love having guests over. Also love to travel. Um, wish I could travel to great locations all the time, but unfortunately I can't do that. But I would say I take, you know, at least one nice trip a quarter, um, both with family or and both with family, with my kids and my husband, or just with my husband and friends. Um, and then also spending time with my friends is really, really important. I used to snowboard a lot. Um, I haven't hit the slopes in a few years. I'm hoping to do that before the season ends. Um, and then getting to go for runs and work out is also a way for me to just de decompress. Snowboarding. I never knew that. Oh, I love snowboarding. I actually started, it's funny. So when I was living in New York, um, every Saturday morning, I would wake up at around six in the morning by myself, grab my snowboard, and I would drive up to either Hunter Mountain or Wyndham Mountain and spend the entire day earbuds in just carving the mountains. And I would do that, skip, you know, ride through lunch, um, and then end the day at about five o'clock, drive home, grab dinner, and go to sleep. <laughs> That's a fun day. I love snowboarding and I really miss it. Yeah. I've uh, I've snowboarded once and uh, I had a blast doing it. I just never, you know, I haven't done enough of it to say it's great as far as um, like I, I used to ski a lot mm -hmm. and then I tried snowboarding and then I had kids and then I didn't snowboard or ski. So I think also I love it because snowboarding makes me feel like I'm a cooler person. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so that's why I started doing it. And then my circle of friends all of a sudden became like this really cool circle of friends. Yeah. Um, I do love it. I'm hoping that I can introduce my kids to it this season. So fingers yeah. crossed. We'll see. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like we, as a family, we probably should take the kids out to, uh, to do that and to go snowboarding as a family. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, Jody, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us about your background, all the great things that the NEVCA has been up to. I think it's important that our audience knows, you know, the hard work it is and then the forward progress that you guys make in all these different initiatives. Thanks, Keith. It's always, always, always a pleasure chatting with you, hanging out with you. Um, thanks for taking the time to do this. And uh, thanks for all that you do. One last plug. 
I hope to see everybody at the Nevi Awards. I will be there and I'll buy everyone a drink because it's open bar. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. May 9th. Don't forget House of Blues, 6 p.m. It's definitely uh, a a not to miss event. And this year we'll have a few cool surprises. You will not be disappointed. So hope to see you there. All right, Jody. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Keith. Take care. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.